This is Wabi Sabi Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Yasmin. Really excited to share this week's episode with you. And I'm currently on the road in an RV with my family, heading across the United States for the first time ever. Coming back to Los Angeles next month, driving all the way to the East Coast and back. I'll be sharing more about that as we voyage. But I hope everyone listening is well and safe. And even though aspects of this pandemic feel like they're behind us here in the States, I think we know that it very much is not fully behind us. So this week, I had the honor and privilege to speak with my friend Ben Nobuto in the UK. Ben is an incredible composer, arranger, multi-instrumentalist, producer, wizard, and content creator that I found via connections on Instagram. And so we spoke about music, philosophies, and much more. Hope you enjoy our conversation. And if you haven't already, please consider leaving a review for the podcast really helps a lot with algorithms and searches and whatnot. If you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe and leave any feedback, perhaps even a recommendation or suggestion for a future guest. So without further ado, here's Ben. Ben, uh, it's an honor. Thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, um, we were just comment. We were just n- noting before hitting record. Um, just at how how funny, um, you know, you sitting in the UK, I'm sitting here in Los Angeles, and how uh, <clears throat> as much as I, I guess, have fun loathing. A platform like Instagram, um, for a, a myriad of reasons, I guess in its grotesqueness and its imperfections, um, sometimes I come across incredible content or just incredible artistry and creativity, and really, I feel like it's making the most out of the platform, <laughs> and that's coming from like having been, you know. <clears throat> an amateur musician myself for like 20 years. And the fact that I like what I like meant that somehow I came across one of the, um, one of the cassette videos. I don't know if it's a, it's a, or it's the Bento. Is it the Bento series? Um, You have like 20 some odd um, series videos in this series, which are, (laughs) which are incredible. 
Um, so anyone who's going to listen to this should, after listening to this, immediately go check them out if you haven't already. And, um, and then just that fun experience of reaching out to you through the platform and saying, hey, I would love to have a conversation around creativity within a platform like that. And so here we are. So thanks so much. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's nice. I, I, yeah, I do think there are positives, you know, um, <laughs> because when people talk about social media or like Instagram specifically, like we do tend to talk about the negatives, but it's easy to glaze over like just how easy it is to link up with people. And, you know, I've, I've met so many amazing musicians and um, and like also managed to keep in contact with musicians I already knew through Instagram, which would have been kind of impossible throughout the pandemic and stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess there is good to come out of it in a way, um, but it's just kind of, yeah, always trying to find that balance, you know, um, trying to keep it healthy, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I feel like I firmly live in a both and type of a reality. Um, and, you know, while I have some personal feelings about the platform, um, you know, there, there's, yeah, there's so much to, to benefit from, you know, it's it just, I guess just, just noting out loud, how based on your interests you are um you are spoon-fed you know um a certain kind of content that's based on your your likes and your dislikes and um for me i'm so excited to speak to you because and i again I, you know forgive me for just waiting <laughs> for waving <laughs> waving so much uh, you know, uh, in your direction and just sort of really singing your praises. But when I saw, when I heard you playing, when I saw the type of content you're putting out there, my, my, you know, my, my first, that first impression, which is, which is so important to reflect on was like, wait, this is, this is like Jacob Collier level. <laughs> amazement like I, i'm just enthralled at what's going on and again i forgive me for like i don't mean to compare you know, know. apples and pomegranates we're all individuals um but it uh yeah i was just showing i was just showing i think it was you know bento's you know bento cassette number perhaps 22 or 20 to my daughter uh and partner just before <laughs> hitting record mm -hmm. um and it's just so, I think it's just for me, it's so exciting to, again, because we're so um, seemingly, you know, we exist socially and also creatively within these, this, these strict confines of these platforms in a way. Um, it's so exciting to see, to experience like something I never thought was possible within, within a 60 second video or a 30 second video. Um, what is, if you can begin to, before going into like your personal story and your background, is there, um, is there a way you can perhaps walk through like what 
even just making one of those videos, maybe from arranging, composing, collaborating, recording, uh, you know, editing a video like that, you know, because these are like no more than 60 second videos, if not 30 seconds. Right. You know, what is that yeah, process yeah. like? Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> and <laughs> just really long and really tedious, basically. But um, so the first couple, there's about 24 now or something or 23. Um, but the first five, I think, were just by myself because I I'd never done anything with videos before. Um, I'd never even really like used Instagram. I was like on it, but like barely used it at all. Um, so I was just kind of like, you know, testing the waters kind of thing. Um, so I used Logic and I just wrote these really quick little beats. Um, and I my whole ethos of this thing was like, it's only 60 seconds, but let's use that to our advantage and try and pack in as much stuff as possible you know um really kind of go like maximalist saturation because that's what instagram is right it's like everything all at once so why, I'm, I'm just going to try and have that in musical form um so like every genre i can think of every style every like groove or, um just throw it all in there and see if i can make it work and if it doesn't it's fine because it's just an instagram video but yeah anyway so um I guess the writing of the music takes a few days, um, like recording the instruments, uh, playing, you know, piano or whatever. And then initially the video part was actually really, really quick because if you see the earlier ones, it's really kind of primitive. It's just like, you know, the camera on me, I'm playing my instrument. Like That's a selfie it. video or something, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like, as they start to go on, I start to collaborate with other people and, I started to get more and more, I think, I don't know, maybe around the, after the 10th one and like towards the, you know, 15 to 20, like I started to get really focused on the video as like, I can really incorporate this into the process and yep. communicate something very special um, that you can't do with just audio. Yeah. Um, and because Instagram is like a primarily a visual platform anyway, right? Yeah. Um, it makes sense to do that. So so the ones I do now, the more recent ones, like the video actually takes up like 70% of the, yep. you know, the making. Um, and it's all kind of like me sitting around trying to figure out how best to like visually tell the story that the music is doing. So um, I don't know, I have a lot of like video game kind of things or mm -hmm. little th like things like levers that, that are pulling or I don't know, loading bars or just all these kind of like visual sort of storytelling devices that I think okay what's the music doing you know how would how should I match that you know how can I kind of make it accessible it's yeah. it's so I mean it's so brilliant because it also is like I don't know if you're familiar with um Cornelius mm -hmm. uh, the yes. musician um and just the level of visual storytelling that that is portrayed in his uh, in his music videos. I mean, it's 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 like within that level of like how like like it's not how did you create it? It's just like so it's, it's so to me it's so amazing how it's all woven together in this amazing fabric. Uh, again, like within such a strict confine of like a sixty second 
container. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much fun to, especially watching the evolution of them. I think I went backwards just because of whenever it was, um, you know, delivered to me, either reposted by someone or just, I just probably reposted by someone. I'll, I'll never remember who that's, that's, that's the, that's, that's the, I guess the pseudo tragedy tragedy of, you know, existing within this sort of ping pong sort of social media space. But um, so, yeah, I, I imagine that, you know, days, if not weeks or possibly months go into each, each one, or, or is there, has there been this kind of like a kind of a flow or sort of a productivity cycle that you've been able to, you know, um, exist, exist within from one video to the next. Um, yeah, I guess they are pretty, I mean, I say they take really long, but they never take more than maybe a, a week or like two weeks. Um, Amazing. I think because it's so like this, the, the way this whole thing started was at the start of um, the lockdown, the first lockdown in the UK, um, I really wanted to make like a big, um, amazing album, you know, because I haven't really released anything properly yet. And I just had this massive block and I, I kept having these big expectations of myself, like this, this has to be the best thing ever. And then, so I thought in the meantime, you know, I'm just gonna make these silly little videos that I can just kind of channel all my kind of excess energy into and ideas into. Um, and yeah, the whole point is that they don't really matter. So whenever I feel like I'm kind of stuck on making these videos, I'm always kind of have to remind myself that it's just an Instagram video. Like it really doesn't, you know, like it's so inconsequential. It's, it's literally supposed to be superficial. So, yeah. Um, that sort of keeps me like going. It's just like, you just, you just keep going with like the ideas, like the first ideas that come into your mind, just, you just run with them. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I tried to keep the, the sort of workflow very quick. Um, yeah. I think if you overthink it, then I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really work because the way that the audience is engaging with it is very like uh, touch and go. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So you have to kind of tap into that energy by just also being like very touch and go, I guess. It's no, it's amazing because it it it, it has it it feels like it was delivered as a sort of stream of conscious type of improvisation and that kind of playfulness, like again, like weaving in the video game aspects, because like having grown up with like Sonic the Hedgehog and like all those like you know, eight and sixteen bit games myself and i feel like you know yeah again it's just like it's just amazing how it touches on so, so many fun um so many fun and like relatable aspects even though it's such as a i mean as a composition both audio and visual like it's you know beautifully complex just to just to appreciate it from afar um so yeah. So like, if you could, you know, like if you could explain, like, you know, <clears throat> say UK based, are you based in London? Um, so I'm, I'm based in Kent, which is Kent, the county in the south. just below. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just below London, um, which cool. is, it's only like 30 minutes um, train ride into mm -hmm. London. So um, it's, it's very just, I don't know, lots of countryside, very green, um, but it's nice that I have access into London so I can kind of go in there when I need to dip so in and dip see, out yeah exactly it sort of feels like um you're kind of diving underwater when you go into London 
Yeah. <laughs> I sort of get all the resources that I need and I quickly come back up for air when I go back sure. down to Kent. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's funny. I just feel like much more grounded and calm um, when, yeah, when I get home, like when I come off the train. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I've been living, so I graduated from university like a few years ago and then I've mm-hmm. just been um, living at home in my parents' house, just working on music and doing a bit of like tuition as well. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really nice. Um, I'm hoping to move out like hopefully to London soon. Um, mm-hmm. But for now, this is like, I've got a sort of, you know, a process Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of used to the environment here and it kind of it kind of works for now so I'm happy yeah yeah I mean you know the the beauty of home right mm-hmm. um, how it could be so uh, both nourishing and encouraging and also like spacious I like, guess just based on you know just really you know relationships parents communication resources what's around you know whatnot um so I take it you that you you studied music in uni. Yeah, I did. So I, I did my undergrad um in music. That was just what it was called. And it was like mm-hmm. very broad, a lot of like essay writing, um theory. Um it was quite academic and dry, and there actually wasn't that much playing. Um and obviously composition as well, which was like my main interest. And then I did my master's degree in composition, um, which was amazing. It was like all I've ever wanted to do just in one degree. They were just like, go away, write stuff, come back, get it performed all year, which was like <laughs> heaven. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like I got quite a good like grounding in terms of all the kind of musical knowledge um, that I have now, but then at the time I was still kind of developing my own voice and I didn't really know exactly I mean I still don't obviously I still don't know the kind of music that I want to make but do we ever yeah yeah exactly um but so coming out of uni it was like this okay I've got all this sort of background information how do I kind of put it to use um towards something like music that I actually want to make um and then yeah, so with Instagram and like the Bento Beats, I kind of spotted a little avenue where I could kind of channel some of that energy. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I mean, wow, that's great. I mean, it's it's. I, I imagine that um, perhaps in in the in the bachelor's degree that um, um, from from a musical training, you know, from an overview perspective that. I'm assuming there's a lot of classical, uh, mm. an emphasis on, on classical versus contemporary. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, I mean, looking back now, it was really, really cool. Like, we were studying medieval music, Renaissance music. Um, like Baroque stuff? Yeah, Baroque. Mm. It, I, like, even before that, actually, like, mm. um, sort of uh, Gregorian chant kind of stuff and um motets from like the 14th century and how mm. all of these yeah just really really old music basically and then slowly how the music grows and becomes like more complex over the years and 
and it's mostly church music that we were doing um and it's really funny because every every decade or so there's like um a sort of a meeting you know by the sort of the church people um I think it's called the Council of Trent or something and they discuss mm. all these like religious matters and then on the agenda every time is like music and the, and they're always saying you know music nowadays it's gone too far like it's you know composers are making it too complex we can't hear the words it's taking the focus away from God um and so there's like a moral panic every single time uh which is funny because I don't know to my ears it still just sounds like very pious like worshipful music but Mm-hmm. there is it was like no no we can't have this this is too much sort of like how people i don't know reacted to hip-hop you know back in the day sure sort of thing. sure um so yeah it's really really interesting yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you re- you recognize that when you when you look back at history that most often than not it's uh we're not doing anything new i mean it's as far as like you know we're still worried yeah you know uh politicians or people who make decisions are still worried about i don't know i suppose between you know our countries we still live in quite a puritan society so there's always that kind of censorship you know worrying about the children sort of arguments that are that are baseless arguments that are made all the time Mm -hmm. um um i have like a thousand questions and I don't, I don't come into these conversations like in any kind of premeditated way. Um, no, cool. I, I go, I go. Yeah, please. I was going to ask you what kind of music you made or you so, make uh, still. Yeah. I, um, that's a good question. I, so I'm both a bass player and a percussionist. Um, and I grew up doing some like piano trombone and uh, guitar. So that was kind of like my upbringing. So there was a little bit of like, you know, piano lessons, you know, at that kind of formative age, like seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, um, which I hated, by the way. <laughs> I hated piano lessons. I was always, I, I think I recognized quite early on that I was, um, I guess, autodidact or just like I, I was really sort of self uh, I was just kind of curious to learn based off of what I was hearing. And so when I was like 14 and I picked up the guitar and taught myself how to play guitar based on listening, playing along with like my favorite bands or my favorite guitarists. Um, that's when things really started to click for me. So I'm um, uh, so f- I think what, you know, I'd say music or genre wise, um, as a bass player, uh, I definitely, you know, was a working or bassist for hire. It was playing or supporting a lot of, uh, you know, rock, indie, um, singer songwriters, some folks, some Americana, um, and as a percussionist, it was a lot more eclectic. Uh, my main voicing is cajon, which is a traditionally a flamenco uh, voicing. But um, I am not a flamenco musician, so I definitely uh, early on, I'd say I started playing percussion. When I was sixteen. I'm now thirty-seven, so it's it's been quite a while of exploring certain 
um, ryth- you know, rhythmic voicings and then finding like where I'm always moving, like kind of not resting. That's not a good word. Where I'm always trying to explore further and further is this realm of this sort of like reverse engineering, like electronica or like syncopated beats onto acoustic instruments. Um, so like big, you know, huge and hugely influenced by um, a band uh, based out of New York called Nerve, the, and the the drummer is Jojo Mayer, and the bass player is John Davis. Like both, in, incredibly, um, you know, consummate players. Um, yeah, just super inspired by them, um, both as a bassist and as a percussionist. So, like, if I'm exploring anything as a bass player, it's you know, essentially modular synth through just this kind of voicing um and yeah and, and as a percussionist it's like taking aspects of of you know electronica or breakbeat or drum and bass and just really just focusing on that kind of muscle memory but it's not like the only aim it's very much always in what the conversation is or what you know, how i'm collaborating um with other with other people so there were a lot of opportunities to um, explore different world styles. There was a, um, there was a, uh, I had a friend and, and teacher and sort of at times mentor named Adam Rudolph, who uh, is an amazing accomplished, uh, like sort of multi-percussionist who really focused on like Indian as well as uh, several African um, rhythms. Um, and he leads an orchestra called the Go Organic Orchestra, which is this incredible or like just like almost like a chamber, I guess chamber size. I don't know what the right number, what the what the appropriate number is, but let's say it's between 20 to 30 musicians. We're talking rhythm, uh, reeds, brass, um, sometimes uh, strings, depending on, you know, who's available, who's in town. And he, he developed a improvisational notation to explore, to, to explore as an arranger and, and composer. Perhaps, perhaps maybe you can, I can send you a video. Yeah. You can just see some examples of that. It's, it was, (laughs) it was really amazing to have seen at a really impressionable time. And then also to, again, reach out and to, to ask and to join. There were times where I joined, uh, I'd say about maybe 2008, between 2008 and 2016. Um, so that is a really long winded answer to your question that it's, it's quite, quite, quite eclectic. And yet at this stage of life, I'm unfortunately, uh, I don't have anyone local that I'm really excitedly you know playing with or creating with uh, which is both um an indicator of both being a parent and also living in a pandemic (laughs) um so you know there's kind of like you know and i'm i'm not one to like i'm pretty transparent so like you know there's this very very small like hidden uh not so hidden kind of like desire like there's any way to you know, like lay stuff down like on 
on percussion or like in a way to like maybe be a part of some composition or some arrangement or some, or like one of the bento beats like that's like that's like life goals for me so just putting that out there um oh, sure. yeah 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 <laughs> i feel so cheesy to say that no we should do it that's interesting yeah. that like earlier you mentioned um reverse engineering like when mm. you're talking about verve and um sorry nerve and uh jojo may um, and like square pusher and like that kind yeah i mean yeah yeah i'm because i'm really into that concept mm. um, and i think i think i first sort of discovered that idea through steve reich and mm -hmm. um you know drumming and music for 18 musicians and um all of these things where he'd done all of this stuff with tape machines and things like that but then he realized that on its own isn't really enough to kind of, you know, there's not enough interest just on its own. But if you can get humans to sort of try and imitate machines, you get this strange um, mixture of the kind of precision, sort of machine-like precision, but then really beautiful um, human imperfections that always sort of creep out. And that's what makes music so expressive. That's like, that's like expression in music it's like the gap between the kind of the perfect almost like platonic ideal of what the music should sound like and then the kind of scrappy imperfect flawed human version realization of that sound absolutely um another amazing example and a huge influence that just you you hitting that on the nose so eloquently uh, it reminds me of um, Bernd Friedman and Yaki Liebezeit. I think Liebezeit was his was his name. He was so Yaki was the original drummer of Can, uh, and I wasn't really familiar with Can as a band. I mean, in terms of kraut, kraut rock, but uh, I'd been a fan of Bernd Friedman, and they're both um, uh, German uh, German players and and composers and arrangers. And Bernd Friedman has um he developed a series of albums called secret rhythms with yaki in his later years so yaki had just passed maybe three or four years ago he was i think in his like late 70s which is really unfortunate but they had a series of like five or so albums together the secret rhythm secret rhythm volume series and um, um like it's so formative it's such a unique point in my life because Yaki's playing was so metronomic and so trance-like. Um, and it's it was also so like hyper minimal that the space between beats or like some, the way that he played, you know, and he had this sort of like different kind of, a, he was a drummer, but he had this strange different kind of drum set where it wasn't this standard you know you know foot pedal this and and kick and it was all it was all uh hand and arm oriented so there was no foot you know foot powered drumming perhaps maybe other than just you know holding a hi-hat or something but um yes i mean so i mean again that that series of albums was exploring at times like what I understand to be some um, 
some Japanese um, rhythmic concepts. I mean, again, from just taking sort of a multicultural perspective on rhythms and sort of throwing them into the stew and just, yeah, I mean, it's all instrumental and yet, um, yeah, just, it's, I mean, again, so deep. Bern Friedman focusing on um, uh, electronics and processing and, and keyboards and then Yaki just doing uh, drums. And it was just, again, it was just so, so minimal and yet so profoundly deep. Again, I just got to send you some of that stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. but just, but just, again, just, just to, just to comment on um, where you've, where you highlight, you know, imperfections, again, for, just from the perspective of this subject that we're on now of reverse engineering electronic music, like, you know, we are humans having listened to <clears throat> electronic music now for decades, what, 40, 50, 60 years, and being so deeply moved by it that we then play as though we are, um, as though we are machines, right? We're playing machine machine created beats uh it's just so i don't know it's both like so beautiful and also like strangely i don't know strangely kind of um what's the word i don't have the word it'll come to me later but but i i appreciate do you mean to say it's, mean to say it's like sad in a way or well it's not sad because you know I think again, I, when it comes to you know drum machines and electronica and drum and bass, I've definitely like heard from people who have this like, you know, there's almost like a there's like a politi politi politis politicization of everything, right? Which breakfast cereal do you eat has become politicized. So like, you know, there's people who are like, uh, oh, you know, drum machines have no soul. Electronica is boring. House music is fucking shit and it's like no you're not i don't have you are you listening to anything like some of it is so tasteful some of it is so eclectic some of it is so is is um iconic some of it is historic obviously it, it i remember seeing uh years ago uh a youtube video that explained uh, up until that point of having enjoyed drum and bass for years, um, I didn't know that drum and bass was birthed by the Amen break. It didn't occur to me. And so this video was exploring like how the Amen break, which was, again, I can't even remember the name of the band. Who, no, I, no, who, yeah, no, who right? It's like there was a, <laughs> there's a band in the late sixties, like a funk, you know, like a funk jazz band. I, it's it's a shame and now it's sad that i can't remember the band's name but they had a song and in this song which again was sad that i can't remember they had this one drum break that was like 13 seconds long and that drum break is what was sampled as known as the amen break and we have an entire we have entire genres or subgenres of electronica uh and entire years long you know campaign uh, uh, advertisement campaigns and video game compositions and movies and all kinds of narrative storytelling that 
a, like an octopus or like a squid just encompass so many aspects of life because of this one drum break from a song from 50 years ago. It just that it's it is that kind of fractalization of reality that that is again to look at it from a, a macro perspective is like wow how 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 imperfect and beautiful and kind of wabi-sabi and yet it's also been made so complex by the fact that we've we've recycled it you know in, in so many instances over the years over the decades yeah yeah totally i mean i i, I feel i don't know if that the drummer ever got recognition exactly exactly i i don't you know what i i'm i feel like i I don't want (laughs) to i don't want to get out of the zoom call but like you know maybe we'll have a follow-up conversation where we just focus on you know drum and bass and the almond break (laughs) but but um (laughs) uh it's just amazing to again like if you don't know you don't like you don't know if you don't know but once you know these like these you know, profound little bits of information, uh, just what implications that has, you know, just like, again, on the genre itself, on music making, on, on human emotion, um, you know, on the fact that, again, like I'm a huge um, square pusher, um, admirer, and, you know, like, yeah, I think early on in his career, he really did focus on, like most other, uh, you know, musicians, you know, of his ilk really focused on taking the Amen break and doing everything you can with it to not only to explore it as a realm, right. But also to, excuse me, stand apart and, and express yourself, you know, from one, from one, you know, beat maker to, to the other. Um, I wonder what you also draw inspiration from that may not be music itself. I mean, you, I feel like you kind of touched on it when you described being based in Kent, being able to train in to London. And so when you get back home, you get grounded and you, you have that sort of nourishing groundedness about you that is, is profound to just experience, you know, in this, in this conversation together, but I wonder what else you may be drawing inspiration from. Yeah, I think, um I think a lot of this stuff works subconsciously but Mm. so a lot of times I'll write a piece um and this so this sort of applies to the bento beats but also to like my compositions as well just for for ensembles and and other people um which is what I spend sort of most of my time doing when I'm not doing the bento beats but I feel like usually there's a binary or there's like a dichotomy between um something that's really saturated and intense and overwhelming um and then the opposite of that which is total stillness and serenity um and for some reason i'm really really fixated on that like that dichotomy between the two things and like how these sort of two forces sort of interplay and so i think a lot of my pieces tend to unravel tend to follow quite a maybe even predictable pattern where um, the listener is sort of plunged into like total chaos and then it's sort of up to them to kind of weave their way through this sort of labyrinth and find a moment of stillness sort of like an oasis um, within 
this sort of craziness. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know if there's like a formal concept that kind of, that summarizes that. Um, I mean, I'm sure then it must be called something, um, but I, you see it in lots of other things as well, like in, in horror movies, like just in the sort of the still moment just before you get a jump scare or just after something horrible happens, like that silence is so charged. It's so powerful, you know, it's almost unbearable. Um, I feel like metaphorically you're touching on, <clears throat> I guess what's structurally within like a storm is the eye, right? The eye is this sort of calm, but it's a very charged space. Um, I feel like that's what I'm hearing by what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of see it like that. Um, mm. So, so yeah, that's that's definitely like a big idea in my music. Um, and then they've, I've, I've made some more overt references to like Japanese concepts before in the past, like. Uh, the idea of um, I found this concept called jaw haku, mm. which um, you get in a lot of traditional Japanese arts like um, North theater and like gagaku, the sort of ancient court music, and apparently loads of other like tea ceremonies and like lots of other kind of things. Um, and it's just like a very basic formal process where things start slowly, gradually speed up, and then end really swiftly. Um, and I think I read that the the Noor playwright called Ziami, he sort of mm. understood this as like a, a fundamental concept applying to like the patterns of movement in everything, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wrote a, a piece ages ago um, called No Shape and Every Shape for like quite a large ensemble. And it's based literally on this concept where it starts very, very slowly. And then um, there's a drummer as well in the ensemble. And he's just sort of like making swishing patterns, like a sort of like a jazz drummer would with, brush, with brushes. And he's got a metronome in his ear that's constantly getting slowly, slowly faster. Um, so this whole, it's just basically just one huge accelerando and crescendo. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what I was trying to achieve with that idea, but I guess there was a kind of um, beauty in the simplicity of just, you know, you just, you're just following a process, like you're just letting it unfold. Um, there's a kind of like inevitability to it, but it's also kind of beautiful. I mean, it, it um, as I'm hearing you describe it and reflect on it as you're describing it, and how much it means to you like on a sort of a personal philosophical level i mean it 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 um it also sounds like yeah like just what happens in nature as as a process maybe from season to season right there's 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 more quiet calm nuance and then there's more there's a crescendo and a build up into something there's summer there's blossoming there's you know and then like there's a whole process <clears throat> obviously within nature there's a cycle but from like a perhaps from a um a compositional perspective and again like i'm not a composer but i can 
as a listener and as an appreciator, I can, I can feel within the realm of a composition, like those movements, you know, from calm to, um, to much more chaotic and then finding that kind of, <laughs> well, that, that kind of peace within that chaos, um, which then also touch, touches on, you know, the other schools of philosophy that I <clears throat> seem to hang around, you know, also like from the perspective of, of tea ceremony, I'm really big on, I've been, a, I've been studying, I've been a student of Chinese and Taiwanese tea culture um, for 13 years. And it's been, it's had a profoundly deep impact on my life. So from like a kind of a Buddhist and almost sort of Taoist perspective, which again, it's not that dissimilar to, you know, Japanese philosophies, but it's, it's like all kind of within the same realm of thought, you know, maybe not just slightly different to individuate, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just fascinating to hear just like that, again, the background of, of where you're coming from and, how that all plays into uh, what it is that you're doing. So you, so on top of, <laughs> on top of surviving this pandemic, making the Bento Beat series, but you also are um, composing or arranging for um, um, for ensembles, or I've seen recently what there was maybe a quartet uh, that you did. You did it. Uh, you composed for, or you arranged for? Yeah, yeah. I just, it was just a small piece for um, a quartet called Brother Tree Sound, who I actually wrote a did a, a bento beat with as well. Um, oh, cool! And they really kindly sort of commissioned like a, a short piece for me. Um, mm. And they played that in London actually a few days ago, and uh, that was the first live concert I've been to since. Since lockdown. since lockdown. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it felt really, really special that. The first concert I've heard in ages was like of my music. Yeah. Um, really surreal as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> um, I mean, especially like, yeah, you know, we've, we've, I mean, we love London uh, and, and the UK. I mean, we've, my, my partner's family is, is from there. So again, pre pandemic, we, it was basically an annual Mecca um, that we would, we would, our pilgrimage that we would go to on a, at least an annual basis. And I really miss it. And I can't wait to go back. Um, I've seen some incredible performances. Um, there was, um, you know, of a guy named Scott Morgan, he goes by the alias Lossel. He's a yes, like an yeah, amb- yeah. ambient. <clears throat> did you see him at the um, South Bank? Yeah, yeah, oh, I did. I was. I think I was probably there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a re- again a really. I have, we happened to be there. It was like the month of December. Uh, I can't remember which year it was, but um, I was like, oh my god, Lossel's playing because he. Why would he come to Los Angeles? Because LA's LA's more focused on different genres of music. And if he would maybe make an appearance here, it probably would, would be within the within the template of a festival or something. But um, so to be able to go to South Bank Center, which I've heard so much about, and just to 
to be, you know, just to be able to absorb a performance and an experience like that, you know, it's very unique as a performance. And again, because his, it didn't really dawn on me having listened to him for years that his music is, is quite visual. So having that visual component felt so um, important to his compositions. And yeah, I'm so glad that that sounds like you were at that show too. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's so funny. Cool. <laughs> um, cool. Nice, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on if you maybe you, if you want to touch on for a moment what's going on in the UK with you're sort of on your third or fourth lockdown. It sounds like it's hopefully going to end at the at the end of July, maybe perhaps the top of August. Um, how's that going? Yeah, I think yeah. So I think things are kind of opening up. I think everyone's kind of getting ready done. to like have <laughs> summer. Yeah, done. But then I don't know. At the same time, I'm seeing these like very ominous sounding headlines about a new strain. Um, mm-hmm. And but but I'm literally just trying not to think about it by this point because I'm so done. I'm so done with it. I can't and imagine. I think everyone is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah we'll see we'll see but you know like i feel like if lockdown did happen again i guess mentally you know having gone through the the last couple it's like i know that i can still use these platforms to i can still connect with people i think that's really important to bear in mind that Mm -hmm. um you can still actually be really really active like really productive and um you know, and obviously I'm very like privileged. I haven't had to worry about, I'm not like a frontline worker or anything. Um, yeah. I don't have like health issues myself. So obviously, yeah, that's, that's really, really lucky, but um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Absolutely. I'm curious to know um, if, you know, maybe perhaps like what kinds of projects you're working on now that you are looking forward to you know at the rest of this year or perhaps into next year like you said you were kind of working on an album and that's what the bento beats turn into or yeah so that's a really really ongoing thing Mm. that um basically i just want to make a really really good album but i don't Mm -hmm. really know what it's going to sound like but i know that i want to have lots and lots of people involved sort of like the bento Mm -hmm. beats um Mm -hmm. and something that's kind of melds you know my background in classical composition with sort of jazz and sort of you know beats and drum and bass or like whatever basically and yeah i mean i don't know i go through phases of being like really really inspired and it's going to be the best thing ever and then other times yeah i'm just not feeling it but yeah that's sort of um, (laughs) yeah yeah life um there's, um, I'm, I'm doing a piece at the moment for um, a group called Manchester Collective, mm. who are an ensemble based in Manchester, obviously. And they're doing a show at South Bank Centre in December. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, it's called Heavy Metal. The, the concert is called Heavy Metal because it's got loads of percussion and crazy stuff. So I think that's going to be really, really good. Um, amazing yeah yeah <laughs> looking forward to it great um 
I think, I don't know. It feels like this is a good bookmark for a future conversation. I'm wondering if there's, if there's, I don't know, perhaps something you, I don't know if you have, if you have any, um, musing or something you'd like to share or yeah i mean <laughs> just just i actually i actually wanted to ask you a little bit yeah. because just because you touched on the um the tea ceremony stuff that you've been doing yeah. for a long time and we were talking about concepts in music that i've sort of drawn from other places like japanese traditional arts and things like that and mm-hmm. i was just wondering whether you know if there's stuff from that the tea ceremony stuff that like concepts that you feel have kind of like bled into your real life um, yeah that you found useful at all because that sounds i don't know that sounds really really interesting to me it is yeah i mean again i wish you were like down the street we could just sit <laughs> for for a session but um, and by the way, there's fabulous people in, in London. I mean, just in the UK that be happy to connect you with if you wanted to explore that too. But, um, it's very much touches on what you were saying earlier, where, where it's, again, it's not like, like, um, like Chanoyu, like Japanese tea ceremony where it's, it's, uh, so sort of methodical um, and quite orchestrated and like highly disciplined. Um, I feel like this, like, you know, the school of um, what I've been practicing and just experiencing as I'm practicing is, is known as Gong Fucha. So it's, it's, um, it's uh, Chinese. It's, I believe it's uh, originates in Fujian province of Southeast China. Um, and Gong Fu Jia translates to tea with effort. So Gong Fu, like Kung Fu, is effort or, or skilled discipline. <clears throat> so the implication being that that time, reverence, and dedication and practice together in, in lockstep will produce a, a profound tea experience. And yet that's not the goal. <laughs> But uh, the fact that it's, um, again, not unlike playing an instrument or playing a composition with, with different variables. Um, and I get really philosophical about it, but um, I mean, there's, there's a stage. I mean, there's, there's a tabletop or there's, there's the teaware, there's the tea itself, there's the kettle and the water, and perhaps there's a time allotment that you're allowing yourself, but it's, it is after after over a decade of doing it both solo but also sharing it with people one of the things that i do or had been doing out in the world pre-pandemic and i look forward to doing so post-pandemic is is like is it like hosting tea for groups of people um for a myriad of you know whether it's event-based or sort of like team building um that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but it is, it is like foundationally a cyclical sort of moving meditation kind of an experience. I mean, there's, there's a whole, 
there's a lot of muscle memory that comes in like kettle movement pot you know there's lots of different uh bits of teaware that are imbued with so much character and so much imperfection i mean it's amazing to think about each vessel is so fragile and is made by hand and yet it could last hundreds of years with the right care and reverence um so to have that kind of a relationship like imbued with so much character and just like something that's so simple as like a teapot or a cup or a bowl or a decanter um is really profound so so on the one hand like caring so much for fragile things um is a really great life lesson especially like in the face of the living in this sort of hyper convenient reality where we we just press a button and you know shit gets delivered to our door so there's like there's a sort of like wholesale unloading of like effort and doing or making, you know, and again, not making from a place of like aiming for perfection. Although, yes, I mean, there are ceramicists and cobblers and people who, you know, um, you know, fashion designers who make things and yet making a cup of tea is, I feel like the tea is not so much the goal as much as it's like the byproduct of just, just being able to sit and be present to something. Um, there's an amazing book by a, I believe a turn of the century, a Japanese economist who, who actually lectured in English here in the States. Um, his name is Oka, Oka, his name is Okakura Kakuzo. And he wrote a book called The Book of Tea, which is a foundational read. Um, breaking down, you know, these these components um, to, to Western audiences. And like one of, yeah, like, like really the, <laughs> the first paragraph in the book is like, he calls it teaism and he kind of, jo- he kind of jokes that it's like a cult, but it's like a cult of like, of, I mean, tea is a cult, just like musicians are kind of cult members too, but, but he really kind of plays on it. Like, like it is a cult that is, that is, sort of worshiping the imperfect i mean about showing up to do something like prepare a cup of tea um what and it's so simple it's a leaves water and a vessel you know but if you're not in the experience then it could be lifeless but there's so much life and there's a lot of folklore and history and obviously there's there's there are globe there's like a <laughs> global implications to to tea culture as it exists in every country in the world. It's the second most imbibed beverage all over the world next to water. So there's a lot to be said as, as to, as to, you know, how like, yeah, just for me personally, like how, how tea is profoundly altered my existence, I guess, both as a person, as a dad, as a partner, as a musician, um, there's a lot more to unpack there, but that's the kind of like, that's the philosophical kind of baseline answer to your question. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That sounds so, I don't know. Yeah. Like when you said just being present to something and it doesn't even matter, like 
it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing, but it's right. just like going about your day and sort of, yeah. Well, it's, it's the calm that, again, it's the calm and the storm, right? Mm -hmm. There's everything else going on in modern life. And then there's like, I'm spending, I don't know, 30 minutes, maybe 60 minutes, maybe longer, maybe less, depending on what's available. Just focusing on that. It's like just that. And it's, it's a very, as a, as, a, as a tea brewing methodology, as a technology, it's an incredibly analog experience. So again, it really requires your attention and your time and like both hands and your fingers. And so from a mu music playing perspective, from like a neuroscience perspective, there's a lot of benefit to immersing yourself in these hand and finger oriented uh, activities like playing music or playing an instrument or like, you know, immersing in like a, in a tea ritual. So there's a, again, there's a lot to explore there that I, I'm looking forward to be able to explain a little bit better in the future. Um, and yeah. And I, I, again, like I'll, I'll, I'll send you some, some people you should get in touch with. Um, and whenever we next are in the UK with like, yeah, would love to just like sit down and have a session as well. That'd be so great. Oh yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Go to a gig as well or something. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Nearly identical music taste. So that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe we'll be at South Bank. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So amazing. I I want to be respectful of time. I know it's I know it's night there, and I want to bookmark this conversation and be able to to continue it either through here through maybe through i do also i also do you know ig live conversations um i guess hopefully to make it a bit more of a engaging um experience so that other people can chime in and and sort of ask questions as well um so i really yeah i'm so thankful for the time and the space and just the chance to to get to know you i really appreciate it no thank you thank you that was really really nice Thank you. <laughs> cool. Well, have a great uh, rest of the weekend and um, look forward to connecting with you soon. And I'll let you know when this, when this episode will drop. Awesome. Cool. All right. Take care. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye.